0: Hey guys, today's episode is something of a redo since due to a technical glitch, the sound file for episode 228 accidentally ran for episode 229 as well. I fixed it in the archive, but I'm also re it here. I guess one of the problems with doing a podcast that's mostly about travel is that I travel much of each year, and had I not been in Kenya last month, I might have caught that glitch earlier. Whatever the case, this episode is another remix of my online book club for The Vagabond's Way. I mentioned that you can sign up for the October 4th Book Club Zoom session, but obviously that day is come and gone. Note that I do have two more Vagabond's Way Book Club Zoom sessions left, one on November 1st and the other on January 3rd. Sign up info can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com slash deviate. All right, here's the episode. Henry Rollins could probably afford to travel as a luxury traveler, but he simply prefers to go cheap, close to the ground, walk into markets, talk to people and say, hey, I'm here to meet you, let's talk. Um, And what a fun thing to do um, anywhere in the world, just sort of to make yourself available in a way as a neighbor, not a person from the other side of the world, but as as a fellow human who's there to have a cool conversation with someone who might be as interested in you as you are with them. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is the latest remix of my online book discussion of The Vagabond's Way, which has been taking place each month this year since the beginning of the year. This online book club will actually resume on October 4th since I've come back from my summer travels in Europe and Africa. For more information to sign up for the remaining online book sessions, check out the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate or drop us a line at deviate at In today's book club session, we talk about how to balance the benefits of digital connectedness with the serendipity of not knowing what happens or who you'll meet next. We talk about the joys of traveling to places where you're as interesting to local people as they are to you, and how the notion of authenticity can be a slippery and complicated thing as you travel. Our discussion begins just after moderator Luke Richardson asked me why I called the May section of my book Embrace the Day-to-Day Rhythms of the Journey. Let's listen in. Well, I think that there's a point at which the journey becomes the new normal. you know, you 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 show up dazzled and a little bit bewildered by this this unfamiliar place, and then pretty soon you come into these tourist routines. And I think if you if over a longer journey you still sort of hew to the the early rhythms of being a tourist, you're going to miss out on some things. And so I touch on things like, tourist zones, which are great places to go. There's reasons why tourist zones are popular, but sometimes it's good to get away from them or find ways to experience those tourist zones in a different way. And then having reread the May chapter, I realized that a lot of my stuff is trying to gently push back against the, the pretensions and certainties we bring as travelers and to travel in a little bit more of a humble way and not to assume we know too much or not to assume that we're better than the other travelers we're traveling with, but just to sort of be humble and open to place. Uh, so it's fun. We're sort of in the meat of the journey now. We've moved past certain issues of inspiration and planning and getting started. And now we're deep in the journey and we're sort of we're sort of um, tackling some fun and more complicated issues.
1: Will you discuss how to let the famous sites catch you off guard? Do so you talk about how to let them, um, to be surprised by them in a way that you didn't expect, I suppose? What did you mean by that? And sort of how would you suggest that someone can do that?
0: Yeah, it's tough and there's no silver bullet because I think sometimes the, the the tourist sites are dazzling when you first visit them. And then as you become a more experienced traveler, you get irritated by them because they're full of other travelers and you forget that you used to be that excited traveler at the tourist attra- uh, attraction. I use the Eiffel Tower often as a metaphor because I teach my class in Paris every summer. And there was a time early in my travels where I got irritated just by how many people were on the de dumas underneath the Eiffel Tower. And then I, then I paid more attention to them and I realized how happy some of them were. Like some of them were, they're from all over the globe. You know, there were, there were people from, you know, India, New, New Zealand, Brazil, and this was sort of a dream come true for them. I think the people on their first journey sometimes go to those tourist attractions first. And so sort of seeing the joy that surrounds a place like the Eiffel Tower, humbled me once I saw it for a while. And so I, I think that sometimes if you just go to look at a place and not pay attention to everything that's there, including the other tourists, you're going to sort of miss the energy of that place. And so I really encourage in, in that particular entry, find ways to be surprised by the place where you are. And, and in a way, you sort of have to let your expectations go. You have to realize that maybe a guy is is shoving, shoving a big rack of of Eiffel Tower keychains in your face and they cost a euro each and you don't really want a keychain but then you realize that this guy is from Senegal in a way that he's a traveler too like he's making money to send back to his relatives in Senegal and that's a part of Paris as well you know the people are sort of an immigrant merchant class is the one who are selling the trinkets um and this is a part of their lives just as as the tourist attraction is a part of your life too and so i think if you find those sorts of experiences as an irritant rather than a part of the texture of the place um then you're going to be missing out on what there is to see at that place and i'm i'm curious to know at, at some point in this conversation if anybody has an interesting surprising experience from a tourist
1: attraction denisha if that's how you pronounce your name would you like to um would you like to share yours
2: yeah um hi everyone yeah i came back from um northern pakistan a few weeks ago and um i went off to this tiny little village to go find the Kalash people, which is this tiny little tribe. And yes, they have these beautiful, colorful costumes. And then, um, the, the young woman guiding me was almost like, we had to pick her up on the way and <laughs> she was in normal clothes. And then she was, you know, she's like, okay, I'll have to go, I'll have to go put on my traditional clothes. And she was like rolling her eyes. And then she, you know, popped into her house, came out and she's like, look, I'm a Kalash girl now. And um, then she would guide me around her little village, but was kind of like, and here's the traditional blah, blah, blah. And here's the blah, blah, blah. And you could just see she was just so bored. Um, But then when it came to any information about me as a South Asian woman traveling on my own, she, she would be like, where do you get your money? Like, how do you do this? Like, you know, and I think about 45 minutes in, I went, OK, this is one of those situations where I need to let her travel, you know, because she, you know, and, you know, we, we very quickly worked out. She couldn't open a bank account without being married, so she wouldn't have access to a, a card. You know, she couldn't draw cash. I was going, oh, make sure you keep your money, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And. Um, yeah, so I kind of gave up very quickly, and then I went to her mother's store, bought a bunch of dresses, and kind of thought, okay, well, <laughs> my travel experience was was a was kind of an inverse in the end, um, but it was lovely.
0: <laughs> that's that's brilliant, and one I, I've seen your photos from there, and that's what a beautiful part of the world you visited in Pakistan. Uh, but also, that's something that's that's I probably should have done a specific chapter about this in the Vagabond's Way because walking into a village and you being the exotic person is such a fun part of travel. That happened to me a lot in Cambodia, where I was really in the middle of nowhere, Cambodia. And people were so excited to meet an American in the flesh. And this happens in a lot of places. And I think that's almost a challenge. Travel in such a way that you're the most exciting thing these people have seen all month, right? Find the village where you as you know, a, a South Asian based in London or a, a person with a uh, who, who has been to a baseball game in person gives them a bit of travel experience, even though they're at home. What a fun, what a fun aspect of, of giving back without even realizing that's what you're doing as a traveler. Ralph,
1: are you, are you, is Ralph in here? And is he able to speak if he is?
3: Well, it was just surprising to see that Ralph had included a, a quote by Henry Rollins because, uh, I, I love his book, uh, his photography book when he traveled around and especially his photography from North Korea where he was meeting like kind of the people behind the curtain and Henry Rollins has always been such a weird traveler to me. I've followed him since I was in high school and he's got that punk rock ethos of just traveling in kind of the DIY, like I'm not going to do a package tour. I'm not going to, you know, I can totally see Henry Rollins just wandering out into the street. And I, I love that quote in Rolf's book. Uh, you know, about showing up and people are surprised to see him on the street. Like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm here to meet you, you know? <laughs> and it's always, it's always such a weird uh, paradox to have people be more interested in you and uh, th- than you are in them. But yeah, I, that, that's, that's all I had is just that I was surprised to see <laughs> a Henry Rollins quote <laughs> in in that book. So
0: I think Henry Rollins is tickled sometimes. He'll he'll go and he'll see somebody wearing a black flag T-shirt in Indonesia, and they don't know what black fa- flag is. They just that was what was for sale, and so that's what they're wearing. It's funny. I'm 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 friendly with Jay Younger, who was in a band called White Zombie, and every once in a while he's a big traveler. Every once in a while he runs into somebody with a White Zombie T-shirt, and it's always it's always fun for him to see if they actually are a White Zombie fan or if there's just a 19 year old hipster who bought it at the local hipster store, right? Uh, but but strangely enough, Henry Rollins is, is he's a punk rock guy, but his he's a really insightful traveler. He had what was called the Henry Rollins Travel Slideshow, which is where I got that quote from him. Um and I think it just shows that you it's all about attitude. Henry Rollins could probably afford to travel as a luxury traveler, but he simply prefers to go cheap, close to the ground walk into markets, talk to people and say, hey, I'm here to meet you, let's talk. Um, And what a fun thing to do um, anywhere in the world, just sort of to make yourself available in a way, as a neighbor, not a person from the other side of the world, but as a as a fellow human who's there to have a cool conversation with someone who might be as interested in you as you are with them. So uh, I found myself, I, I quote Henry Rollins like three or four times in different parts of the book. I didn't set out to quote this, the lead singer of Black Flag. It's just he was so insightful about uh,
1: travel that I ended up doing that. It's quite easy to, to just slip into transactional conversation, isn't it? uh, when you're on the road because you need something, you're there for a purpose. Where's this? You know, how much is this? What do I need? Where do I go to get this? But from what you're saying and what what everyone's saying here, actually, when you get beyond that, it actually gets a much more interesting exchange.
0: Yeah, and that's why why I I tell this, uh, there's some of my... Former students here, I tell it to my travel writing students too. If your story only has quotes from taxi drivers and bartenders, you should probably uh, try harder to, you know, to meet new people on the road because, really, you're in that service economy zone. Of course, you're going to meet a, a taxi driver or bartender. You know, that's the first thing you do as a travel writer is get a get a ride to the place where the cool party places are. And there's nothing wrong with talking to taxi drivers and bartenders, but it's it's like finding the young kid who's good at soccer or finding the grandma whose husband worked for the Air Force during his time at a base in their country or whatever. That's when it really gets interesting. And you get some fun windows into a place that go beyond the economy that has been set
1: up to serve you in that place. Right. We'll move on to May 20th, Rolf, where you talk about, and I was so glad to see this, actually. In fact, I wondered at what point you would mention... Um, Link Lakers before Sunrise films, because I've heard you talk about them on the podcast a few times and know that you, you know, then they're so travel intrinsic, aren't they? The way that they talk about travel. And you discuss here, you use that as a wider point to talk about staying present in a place, really. What's a good balance in your mind between the online world? Because it has brought a lot to travel, hasn't it? With maps and recommendations and getting tickets online and knowing where to turn up for the bus and when to turn up for the bus. And living offline in the moment and being present and and those sorts of things.
0: Well, it's tough, you know, especially if talking to someone of a younger generation who has never not been without a, without a smartphone, you know, but what I loved about that movie, it's if, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's, it's worth watching. It's about a guy who gets off on a train with a cute French woman in, um, in uh, Vienna and they walk around the city all night because just talking, um, and it was and Ethan Hawk is the actor who plays it. And he talked about his daughter, who's also an actor, um, was just amazed by how the, how open to each other emotionally they were because they didn't have devices to stare at. And I thought about this before in my very first vagabonding trip. Actually, I mentioned this this young woman in in The Vagabond's Way, too, is that before I traveled America, I made this necklace and I and I. I made this necklace and I was dreaming about my trip. And then when I was on my trip, I met this, this Ohio girl from Florida and we kissed on the beach and I gave her the necklace and said, I was dreaming of her. When I made it, it was this big moment of romantic bravado. But I thought sometimes looking back on that experience, like my nephew's generation, like I met her cause she was sitting outside of a hostel and we just struck up a conversation. Nobody was looking at a cell phone. Um, we just organically let things happen. And I think in a certain way, I don't want to be an old fogey, But in a certain way, I think it was easier to be open to the experience in the moment before we had this supercomputer in our pocket. And I think the the supercomputer in your pocket is a great tool. And it it opens up so many possibilities. It opens people who previously were maybe nervous about travel to to travel. Um, But you really have to find that balance of being open to each other. Because again, if you watch before sunrise, there's so much connection. I mean, actually, it's a scripted thing. I don't know if anybody connects that much in one 12-hour period over the course of a night that movie has a couple of sequels as well, but it just shows what can happen if you're not too self-conscious about things, if you're not too worried about what you're going to do. And I think one thing I talked about is that if I had been Ethan Hawke's character, I would have been so intimidated by this beautiful young French woman. I would have said, Oh, let's, let's go do this tourist thing and this tourist thing. I wouldn't have allowed myself just to relax and let things happen. So I think there's a lot of ways you can shut yourself off to uh spontaneous experiences as a traveler. And so actually, I'm interested to know in other people's experience how they can unleash themselves from their electronics and really be vulnerable to new places because I think it's not just a generational thing. I think as as we travel with our phones, we have to figure out how to have them service while at the same time, not letting them distract us so that we keep looking up and out and not down all the time. And I know that um some of some of you uh, were with us in Paris last summer. My wife and I didn't have a data plan we we would put our our routes on our paper map when we went out in the city because we didn't have uh we didn't have a data plan telling us where to go and that was fun actually to sort of to go old school old style through the city through scratches on a paper map and so that was one strategy that we had that worked pretty well if other people have ideas I'd love to hear them but um as with so many travel issues there is no silver bullet there's no thing that says oh well this is what you do to get be fully in the moment no it's a struggle you balance your, your GPS and your information, which is great stuff from your phone, with the ability to let the city or the place show you what it has to offer on its own terms. Um, Zane says he has a story on this.
4: I was in Morocco a few years ago, and my dad... I was going to school in Madrid, and my dad came to visit. My dad's a, uh, a big photojournalist, so he's traveled quite a bit. And we were down in Morocco in Tangier with a couple buddies... And I was definitely like a low level traveler at this point. My dad's sitting there watching us. And he asked us, where should we go to eat? Because we got in town a few days earlier. Um, and all the, the two buddies and I simultaneously pulled out our phones to go to Google Maps to figure out where we're going to eat. And my dad's like, man, you guys must know, you know nothing yet. You guys haven't learned anything on the road. Follow me. And we go out on this walk. We put the phones away. He's taken us through the Casbah, just telling us how to judge a good restaurant from the outside, you know, the smells, who's eaten there, um, and getting this real insight into how you really should navigate uh, a place without technology. And that all stuck in the back of my head as I started to take some of my own adventures later on. Um, and what Rolf alluded to in the beginning of this conversation was a walk I, I took through the Balkans. Um, and it was a very conscious and intentional decision to leave the SIM card behind um which did get a little difficult because i didn't have any maps so i was just kind of you know going by the you know the southern compass you know point headed towards greece but um and ended up weaving through some minefields and things like this that from the yugoslav wars but what was cool about it was you'd go through these sections where you weren't supposed to go to through perhaps um and these locals people in these, these these areas would see you and say, you know, why are you walking this way? And it would open you up to conversations that if I would have had a map and I would have stayed on the correct route, like I never would have been in these positions to um, interact with these people. But this chapter reminds me a lot, sorry to ramble on here, but I'm excited about this topic because I've been thinking about it frequently um, deeply is it goes back to your chapter um, January 13th, we're all for it. it's about like seeking the questions now instead of the answers. And I think it speaks to a larger problem about how easy it is to get answers um, and get to results, you know, "quote unquote" results, um, and our tolerance with boredom and the process has. Uh, well, there, now there's a you know a severe intolerance, perhaps. Um, so I think doing things like leaving the phone behind and forcing yourself in situations where you you have to go talk to people, and finding the um, finding the patience. To sit in a place and just see what's interesting instead of going, you know, always having a checklist, um, uh, pursuing and consuming, versus finding a way to uh, enjoy the time instead of using the time. I don't know. I'm hitting a bunch of different points right here, but this is super interesting stuff.
0: It's it's the idea we have all the information, we're all information, but no wisdom. Like we we have all this information, but no real sense for how to navigate it. And if in doubt, we just turn back to the tap for more information rather than synthesizing it or, or figuring out new wrinkles to it and i think zane covered some great um some great topics in that but one thing i'll touch on is smell because we often forget the sense of smell is a very wise smell that we can walk through the street and probably the good place to eat is the place that smells delicious especially if there's a line of local people standing in front of there and so the wisdom of place is something that travel has always given travelers for thousands of years, the wisdom of place, you learn so much by being in a place. And I think the smartphone, which is a great tool, it takes away from place, it's it's sort of placeless. This thing that we have in our pocket sort of takes the placelessness of place and it makes us less likely to use our smell or to be vulnerable and ask someone for help or to be the person wandering down a street that nobody else wanders down. So people ask them what they're doing there and we say, I'm here to meet you. Um, Yeah. So collectively, I think th- these are the subtle things that can that can uh, get us independent of of that device in our pocket, even as it is helping us.
1: Denise, do you have a question?
2: Um, yeah, no, I just want to share um, on the the tech point, um, which was my birthday, probably God, I think ten years ago. So I, I was, you know, staying in a hostel, and I woke up and I kind of use my favorite pickup line when you walk into like the lounge and you say oh the wi-fi is not working does anyone can someone help me and you and then some guy will either connect and want to rescue you or or people just go it works and then they look back down you know and that's that's a great way to connect through the technology um but then I was I was very overwhelmed I'd been traveling for about I don't remember like many, many, many months, probably seven, eight months at the time. And I was like going through TripAdvisor and, you know, looking at Facebook and trying to find what the hell am I going to do on my birthday? And then I walked down the main street and, um, and there was a lady there who was selling tours to these caves. So this was in Belize. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, she had a little brochure and I kind of looked at it and I went, I just don't feel like doing this. It's my birthday today. And she went, What? it's your birthday you're here alone where's your family you know and then she said actually you know i'm taking a coffee bakery right now do you want to go and then we went to the local bakery and then she told the lady at the bakery it's her birthday today and then this lady's like oh you know what you can have a cake on me and then i got like a free cake i, I ended up having my birthday with a free cake I, I paid for no meals that day when they brought my lunch over uh you know the waiters brought like a little cake with a candle that i met some other travelers at the other tables. And they were like, yeah, we're going out tonight. Let's, you know, we'll all get you drinks. And, and it was just incredible. Like the whole thing worked out so well just by not using my phone that day.
0: That's a great story. And it sort of shows how something like a birthday, which most everybody has, right? Everybody, most everybody likes to celebrate their birthday. And they, they, they're very generous towards people who have birthdays. It's sort of like in our last conversation or in a recent conversation, we were talking about how traveling with kids humanizes you. Well, traveling on your birthday, I think can humanize you. And, and you used, you used the word uh, pickup line as a, as a direct thing, I think, to me, to meet guys in the hostel lounge, but even as the metaphorical pickup line, the idea of, just putting your phone down and asking someone for help with something, Um, be it a romantic pickup line or just a way to connect with another person. What a great way, it's that simple. You know, it can be that simple of just saying, hey, I'm having trouble with this, can you help me? Uh, and that can be a great way to sort of get past phone phase and into face-to-face phase. I remember the first time I realized that this was a thing in hostel lounges. I always loved hostel lounges, but I went to a hostel in Washington, D.C. in 2007, and it was the first time I saw 20 people in a hostel lounge not talking, and it was because it had Wi-Fi. Everybody was on their laptop. This is really before the ubiquity of smartphones, and it was so it was so sad, and... um I think it's it's the new normal to a certain extent. I'm sure that there's some noisy uh, hostel lounges in in certain places. I know I know Zane spent a lot of time in, in hostels when he was walking across Europe. But, um, yeah, I think now you need to try harder. It used to be like hostel lounge was automatic community, right? Now you need to be a little bit more proactive. You need to throw out that metaphorical pickup line to sort of get past that uh, scratchy veneer. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so it's funny how it's a complicated problem, but sometimes the answer is pretty simple. Can you help me with this? Hey, it's my birthday. And then suddenly you have this amazing day and um, that you wouldn't have had, had you not
1: told, put down your phone and told people it's your birthday. So I love that story. Uh, May 25th, Rolf, you talk about travel photos, and we talked about them in, in quite a lot of detail last time, but and, and you talk about it in that same way as we discussed before, how people take photos, the photos they want themselves to see in the future, or they want other people to see, editing out the litter, or the toilet block, or the, the local person wearing the Manchester United t-shirt or whether it whatever it might be. I'm curious to know though, looking back over your sort of travel travel experiences are there any photos that you wish you had taken in a different way or any photos that you wish you, you, you didn't take, but you, you wish now that you had to, had have taken, you know, uh, any things that you missed and thought, oh, I won't be interested in that in 10 years time. And now looking back, you thought, no, actually that was the most interesting part of the trip. I wish I'd taken a picture of that.
0: Well, a- almost everything. I mean, I think my attitude towards travel has changed over time. Just like I take p- more pictures sometimes in a day then I took in the entire first year of my first Vagabonding trip back when I was a 23 year old dirtbag and I, I thought film was expensive and I had a little point and shoot camera. I look back to the photos I, I, I still have from that that journey in 1994. And it's just a, it's just a handful, a little handful of photos. And so but in a certain sense that it, it's one of those things you can't I can't really wish a different experience onto that trip because that trip changed my life. That was mind-blowingly amazing. I'll never have a trip that competes with that, even though it was just a trip in a van around the United States. It was so new and so life affecting. But sometimes I go back to like a photo stream from the time I visited Mozambique in 2017. And it's like, oh yeah, I would have forgotten about that had I not taken a picture. What a cool little beach that was. And, and, And so it's tough to say, like, so in a certain sense, i would like to send a time traveler back with a smartphone to 1994 just to see what i might have taken photos with but because i was too cheap and shy i didn't take photos of it um but then at the same rate sometimes i wonder now when i have that smartphone in front of my face taking a photo what am i missing over here that i would have seen in 1994 so so it's a strange trade-off um and but yes i think what i try to do now is get the imperfections is like get the not just the symmetry of the eiffel tower and me and my wife looking good but all the weird stuff that happens around there and i'm using the eiffel tower as a metaphor that basically i mean you can go online now and find an awesome photo of you know machu picchu or whatever tourist attraction you've decided to take a picture of so why not get the weird guy in an elmo suit in times square or, or you know, why not get that, get those those really funny, cynical these guys selling keychains of the Eiffel Tower, who in a certain sense are more entertaining than the Eiffel Tower itself, uh, and so that's my challenge. It's almost like. One of the initiatives that feels like that's coming out of this discussion is one, spend a day on the road with, without your smartphone, get a paper map and a pencil and just go around. That's one challenge. Another one is find the most idiosyncratic thing you can find in a tourist attraction. Nothing against tourist attractions, but find, and my, my writing students will know this, find the telling detail of the, that thing. Find the weirdest thing that's happening in front of that awesome tourist attraction. And then let that be the story of your photo that'll make it pop in your mind. Because if we want to see a picture of Machu Picchu, we can go online and see better photos than what we'll, we'll take. But it's those telling details that really remind us of actually being there that, uh, that are the true trophies of, uh, of travel photographs. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including how to sign up for future sessions of the Vagabond's Way Online Book Club can be found in the show notes at rolfpots.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpots.com. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.